So tell me what we're making. Uh, catapult. Pinball machine. This is crochet. Mallets that we use to play a form of music called samba. Um, have you ever done anything like this before? No, but this calms me down, so I want to do it more. Oh, nice. That's a great, a great reason to be a maker for sure. This episode isn't about one thing. I mean, I guess it's about maker education, but it's as much about the high stakes of designing high-quality professional experiences for educators. Ones that excite the senses, ooze creativity, and build a community. There are still too many professional experiences meant to hone craft and build skills and excite that are way too dull. I always feel like a bit of a blasphemer. Blasphemer? When I mention this aloud. But I have yet to have someone disagree with me. There's an uncanny irony that comes along with sitting in rows, listening to someone essentially lecture about the virtues of new pedagogies that are hands-on, interest-driven, situated in an authentic context. Half of the time I see teachers or youth workers, library media specialists, checking their phones and glancing at the clock. Manhattan Makeathon is something different, and for that it deserves a lot of credit. Earlier in the year, Lori Stahl Van Brackle, Director of Instructional Technology for the Manhattan Field Support Center at the New York City Department of Education, challenged 20 schools in a special cohort to design maker-driven learning experiences that they would test with young people at school and then lead experiential training at the Makeathon. Rooms upon rooms full of educators sewing, hammering, hot gluing away while they discuss pedagogy alongside their peers. Many of them brought students too which where it worked was an exciting glimpse at what it looks like when learning isn't something bestowed upon us, but is constructed through experiences and interaction and can most certainly be shared at the same time between teacher and student. I was honored to join for the day. My thanks to the talented team who made it possible. The following is a series of interviews with participants as the day unfolded. Enjoy. This is no such thing a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. So, Lori. Mark. It's the day. It's the day. Manhattan Makeathon. Manhattan Makeathon. You couldn't miss it. I rolled up, um, what did I, come up 10th Avenue, mm -hmm. and there in the sign of the old Martin Luther King High School, which is now uh, this part of the high school, there are five schools. There are here. five schools, and this one is um, arts and tech. There's arts and tech. Um, don't ask them all. I can't remember. And four the others. Special special music. Um, yeah. Um, so it's like it. It's big. There are a lot of people here. It's super exciting. Tell me about. Um, give me the origin story of the Manhattan Makeathon. Where did you start, and what were you trying to accomplish? Um, last year, uh, I was given the task of coming up with some sort of STEM event. Uh, didn't have to be anything spectacular, but I couldn't help but dream big. Um, and we started with paper roller coasters because it seemed like a quick and easy build that, you know, you could bring with you anywhere, um, teach the design process, um, have instant success. Um, and we did that in about six or seven locations and we had a giant end of year makeathon at Tweed where we took over Tweed and we built 
paper roller coasters that were connected by Rube Goldberg's. It was a mess and it was wonderful. Um, and then this year they're like, okay, bigger. I'm like, bigger. Okay, great. I'm going to really think big now. Right. Um, so we increased the number of the cohort members. We had like 10 schools. Now we have about 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were meeting all year and planning and plotting and, and having little makeathons in all the schools. And each school, my idea had been that each school would have a project that they would present, not to show off, but to have people make mm-hmm. at a makeathon. Got it. Um, and then we had to find a place big enough. This place is a little too big. Uh-huh. Um, next year, because again, reiteration next year we'll, we'll do it in a smaller school uh-huh. um but maybe with more even um and maybe less rain and maybe in march yeah this place is large like for um i'm trying to think of a good analogy it's it's pretty it's like the size of a small shopping mall okay yeah um and and your the event is pretty distributed there is though a beautiful map why, thank you. Which is pretty awesome. So these are the kinds of things, no doubt, you spend the entire year uh, <laughs> planning and figuring plotting. out and, and putting together. I think it's important to understand the event. It's important to just quickly understand your role um, with New York City schools. You are a Manhattan. Um, I work for the Manhattan Field Support Center, which has a variety of different um tasks um, that supports the schools in Manhattan. There's one in every borough. Um, I'm the instructional tech director, Director. which doesn't mean what it sounds like. Or Your job in a nutshell is what? My role, I support 250 schools. um, That's it. In Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) Just just in Manhattan. Um, And essentially... I'm supposed to be helping them with their vision of technology in the classroom. Um, If it's broken, that's what DIIT is for. Um, But so long as it's working, um, then I can help an educator vision what they can do with their technology. Um, Mostly it's like Google Classroom um, and how to use uh, digital tools like um, make um, student journals, Mm. um, digital portfolios, and my love has always been, I mean, I love all of that, but my great love has always been making mm. um, in that when I had my students make projects and no matter what I taught, I always had them making something. Yep. Um, I saw their connection to the material was more visceral, was more real, was more concrete. Um, so if we made masks when we read um, Lord of the Flies, the students started to understand this concept of losing yourself behind the facade of, 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 well, they were primitive, but it was, it was this, this concept and they made their masks and they designed uh, logos for their, their family when we read Romeo and Juliet. And Mm -hmm. it was like really intensely, like they wanted it to be perfect. And to have that drive, they don't have that when they take a test. They don't have it when they have to do a book report, but when it's a group project and it's like hands-on, you see the results of what you're doing. Um, and I want, I, I wanted, when I took this job, I wanted to have more teachers have that opportunity to see that they can do that. I think we have a school system that is flexible, but a lot of teachers are afraid of that flexibility. And so they just go with whatever the canned, uh, curriculum is. Mm. Um, you can do the, the, the planned curriculum and add to it, um, and, you know, take back some of your authority and make in the classroom no matter what your subject Mm. is so 
That's interesting to hear you say that because I, I think the the more common narrative when you talk to teachers is that the system uh, you hear a lot of the system is rigid, you mm-hmm. know, and and inflexible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an important perspective uh, to hear that there actually is flexibility, and sometimes it's a matter of educators being comfortable doing this work, um, yeah. which is really important. And um, so, great segue. There's right as we speak. There's uh, Lula Hanna, who has been on this show and is one of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, New York maker educators uh, is doing a panel in the other room. Um, part of today is about helping empower educators to build that confidence and yeah. and the sort of um, self-efficacy and and uh, we Agency. always talk about youth identity uh, mm-hmm. as makers, but there's also something you're doing here today, which is about building educator identities. Correct. Yeah, I think if you don't give the teacher the same sort of support that the teacher is supposed to give the students, then you can't expect them to expand their horizons and their abilities and their skills. And we want to have a vibrant, uh, active, creative, lively teaching working for us. And, and you can't have that if it's locked into um, required only, you know, if, if there's no creative outlet, then there's no creative content and there's no creativity in the classroom. Yeah. And we keep talking about, oh, we have to have the kids be creative. Then let the educators be creative because you can't teach creativity. You can only model it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let the teachers be creative. But I think teachers are afraid. And me afraid is too harsh a word. They're hesitant. Um, it's a lot to ask to have to say, okay, here's a project now, figure out how to do it with you know your 35 kids times five. Yeah. Um, and, and in your sandwich classroom. it, sandwich it within the context of the many, many other demands. Right. And one of our cohort members, Deepak Kapoor, is fantastic. He teaches a physics class and he's also teaching an engineering class for his students who don't want to do physics but are close. The math is, is a little daunting for them. But he's having them make paper roller coasters and, and uh, electronic circuits in their houses. And um, they are doing math that they don't even realize they're doing, mm. which is exactly what we want. We want to have them make the connection to the theory by showing them the real world application. Yeah. And he's got, he's got them doing it. It's beautiful. And they're great. Yeah, it is beautiful. So, um, Lou is doing a panel on, uh, maker education and sort of practical steps for, especially for library and, and media specialists. We've right? got three, um, panels. The first one is on library work and the second one is on, um, outside resources. Um, I, and I based it on my own experience as an educator. When I got into my computer talent class, there was no curriculum thing goodness but there was no curriculum (laughs) so that was a blessing and a curse at the same time because you can't have 35 students in a classroom and not keep them completely engaged without expecting them to kill you or paparazzi yeah yeah, i know we keep Uh, getting interrupted from people (laughs) wanting to take pictures of Lori, who Uh, is famous no you the manhattan makeathon fame fame anyway um but what I did was we were a mouse squad school. And when I went for training, everything I was taught at mouse, I would sit down and look at and see how I could build a unit out of it, yeah. how I could really expand it. So things like the board game unit um, was from the paper pr- prototype of a board game, which we I then built out to a, a full, you know, totally 
done board game, um, my you know video games and getting them to make a fair and getting them my students to do certain things. I don't know where I picked everything up from, mm. um, but I kept bringing everything that I had into the classroom because I had to. They had to be active. Yeah. There was there was you know it was fight or flight. I was going to fight. Yeah. Um, and getting them to try different things. I also had. The, the I had a computer lab, so I had carrots, right? If they didn't behave, they couldn't go on the computer. Mm -hmm. If they behaved, they could go on the computer, but they weren't making, they weren't playing games, they were making games. And yeah. I made that very clear to them from the get-go. We are not here to play. Um, and that's, what was your question again? I just no, went down the, a rabbit hole. Rabbit holes are good. Yeah. Uh, it's a make-a-thon. So rabbit holes lead to inventions, other, other wonderful things. Um, there are also students here. Yes. Uh, and tell me how the dynamic works between students and educators who are here for the Makeathon. Um, well, again, we had 30 cohort schools. They were supposed to be inviting students, and some, many of them brought students. Some students couldn't come. One school is like, all our students have Saturday school, mm. so they can't come today. And that made me really want to cry. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, these poor children. But I understand the parents have a set expectation and so Saturday school is their life mm -hmm. um, but these are also incredibly creative innovative children um, that because their school is you know it, it's an active school and they do believe in the maker movement they have these opportunities um, we have students from temporary housing who are here also for the book of Palooza and these are students who go to a variety of different schools and some of them have maker ed some of them don't um, giving them an opportunity to make things I, I was at one school where there was a second grade boy, I believe, and he didn't quite know how to use scissors. And it wasn't because of anything other than he didn't have scissors at home because mm -hmm. um, he didn't have a home. So there were no scissors. Like there was just that opportunity. My daughter, when she was little, we had a craft box and we had supplies and we had that. And, you know, if she was bored, it was go into the craft box, mm -hmm. make something. Mm -hmm. Um and she did. So she always had the the tools and the the ability to make, but not every child does. And that's, you know, when we talk about equity, making sure every child has that is is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, because I can't guarantee every house is going to have scissors, but I can try and get every school to have an opportunity for children to do creative making. Yeah. Um, some of the other smaller, smaller yet um, – super engaging, really fun activities that are happening downstairs. I heard that there's a cardboard ad, uh, cardboard arcade. Yes, with Amy Sachs. Uh, with Amy Sachs, who I hope we get to talk to later on today. Yes. Uh, what else is going on downstairs? Oh, well, you remember Gianna with the fridge? Yes. Yes, she's here. She's doing um, she's doing the Mouse Squad um, uh, superhero cuffs. Oh, nice. Yeah, she loves Some that sewable one. tech. She's doing sewable Great. tech. Um, we have... Um, downstairs we have, uh, drum mallets. We had to open up our, our event. We had, uh, Harlem Samba from Frederick Douglass. It's a band. They're incredible. And they just, they got us all dancing and moving in our seats. It was so much fun. Oh my word. You missed it. But it, I have it on tape. I'll share it. Um, they were so much fun and they're going to make drum mallets so that there's going to be a drum circle at the end. Cause we, we start with drums or ending with drums. Amazing. And we have, um, masks and a cardboard the cardboard arcade you said and we've got bristle bots and oh catapults marshmallow catapults nice. um i hope they got the goggles um we were hoping for a beautiful day right and we were they were going to be out in the patio so that they could you know 
shoot marshmallows at each other, yeah. but apparently that's not going to happen because it's raining. Yeah. So you know what though, um, I know I know you have to go, and I hope you'll check back in later on in the mm-hmm. day. But uh, so you said we were hoping for a beautiful day. It is a gray day. It's sort of rain on and off all weekend. Um, my son is here because pretty much everything hey. was canceled today, but he was so psyched to be here. Cool. Uh, I want to congratulate you on uh, while the sun's not out. It is a beautiful day. This is a magical thing that happens here. This is educators and students together. Uh, engaging in ways that they wouldn't otherwise be if you weren't doing this work. So I hope you feel amazing about it. I certainly do. I think the people here are so energized and excited to be here. So um, thank you, Lori, for all the amazing work. And I hope that we get to do lots of interviews for the rest of the day. And I, I, my bet is that you're going to get a lot of uh, other thanks beyond mine. So Lori, thanks for stopping by and we'll talk to you later. Okay, Mark. Thanks. And they're making the paper roll caster. Yep. So we're going to use like a system with a catapult. So when the other roll caster to unite, unite them, so we're going to do the system with a catapult. Mm-hmm. The other roll caster is going to drop the ball. The catapult will go up and let the other ball go down. Nice. So we're going to make it higher so we can use like more loops and things Good. to make it to get more points. Awesome. So you guys are here though on a Saturday in your seniors. That's pretty awesome. Are you, are you uh, what's the deal? You being paid to be here? Nah. <laughs> You're just here to build roller coasters. Yeah. Probably the teacher is going to give us 50 extra points. <laughs> <laughs> we need them. That'd be nice. I'll ask him when Five I go over there. Four? Yes, you say yes, yes. yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we recorded. I got him on oh, tape. You Thank you, guys. So, and your, tell me your, um, uh, your main subject. My main subject is physics and uh, advanced placement physics courses. Great. And and uh, how long have you been doing roller coasters as part of AP Physics? Uh, I'm doing from last two years. Two years? Yeah. What do you think it's added for these students? I noticed, for example, these guys are seniors and they're here on a Saturday building a roller coaster. Um, Isn't it amazing? Seniors that, don't come to the school even. It's not what I was doing when I was a senior <laughs> at the end of the year. Yes. Um, Tell me what do you think this has added to your physics uh, so this practice. Is, this is basically actually what happens is some of the students actually are, this is not my from my AP class, only there are like one or two students from my AP class, right? They're mostly from my regular physics regions class. So I am also uh, doing for the first time in the school a, a class called engineering design. So there are students who are interested in physics, they're interested in chemistry, but they don't like the math part of it or something. So we, we made a new curriculum for them and we call it engineering design where they built like they built from the scratch something. Now they don't like math, but now right night now they're working on um, electrical houses. So I, I explained them the city circuit, the parallel circuit, and I asked them to build a house which have both the circuit and a combination of circuit and a dual switch. They're working on it right now. So that class. So they will be done like by end of this month. And uh, they don't like math, but I told them, like, you have to decorate your house. So you need a carpet size. You need the paint volume. You need all the measurements. Mm. And they do it without knowing that they're doing math now. So um, a couple of these guys were saying one, one uh, automotive technician, one future, uh, hopefully future New York Police Department. Um, do you think it's essential that uh, a student 
who maybe is headed in their sophomore, junior year, they're thinking, like, I'm going to go to police academy. Do they still, um, what are the benefits of coming through your course and engaging in a thing like this? Uh, what are the things in your mind that carry with them no matter what? The top thing that I think always is the team building, working with the group and understanding each other's point of view and respecting each other. I think that's the most important thing that they learn when they work in the group and, and then they enjoy it also. There are some skills that they have never worked in a regular class. They have never built up stuff like this, which actually is needed in the real life. Now, this design process is if they plan to take an AP course, they're required to write some experimentation design process in one or two of the questions. I'm sure if they go to the college, if they do some kind of a... a the robotics class or something, they will still be building something over there. So I think it, it just helped them very much to work as a team, to understand each other's point of view, each other's perspective, and work uh, like very together. Yeah, you might. I might even argue that uh, every uh, New York City cop should be doing design and engineering uh, classes if they look like yours in terms of the uh, team building and communication process it seems Absolutely. like such an essential uh, at any point in time but uh, today especially it just seems oh, yeah, like such a missing skill in so many professions Absolutely, the communications the communication, misunderstanding they do not communicate, they do not understand each other and that leads to a lot of issues later on so they are, they are in the class, they are in the different classes. They are not in the same class, they are in the different classes, but they're working. I mean, they're all of them. They're one kid that just came from, I don't know which school. They're working. Listen, if, um, if, if there's any indication of an educator with a, an innovative practice uh, that shows that what you're doing is, is right, I would say seniors in May here on a Saturday building roller coasters is it. it is. Uh, thanks yes. for doing this and, and thank you for all your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. What is the best part of uh, a day like today? Um, I'll say like spending time like with my classmates is like the best part and like sharing moments like this is like best for me. Like getting to know more about each other and it's like bonding like getting to know them like family like that right what do you think what's the biggest challenge you face right now as a as a designer engineer uh, what do you think is going to be the hardest part about the thing that you're making um making it work <laughs> and tell me what is this supposed to do um well the thing is that the marble or like the um, or the ball has to like go around it and it has to be the challenge is like not make the ball fall like off the roller coaster. Basically, that's it. So you you need to keep keep your um, the object that you're launching kind of on the rails. Yeah, like a roller coaster. Like is they saying, um, make sure the people don't fall off the roller coaster. Got it. Really. Cool. Um, so you can tell me if you want me to cut stuff. You're like I stuttered a lot. Gotcha. Um, so. Uh, one of the exciting things about the Makeathon is that it brings together um, 
the maker education celebrity of the five boroughs, Dave Wells, what? is here <laughs> uh, at the Makeathon. Um, Dave is with uh, the New York Hall of Science, NYSI, which is an amazing New York based science museum, uh, but they are doing all kinds of things. Dave, tell us what you're here to do. And then um, also, I'm curious, what are your other goals for today? Because uh, off mic, we we're talking a little bit mm-hmm. about what you hope to uh, sort of. Uh, network for and and talk to more ed- maker educators or ed- uh, maker interested educators about doing. Yeah, I mean, initially I'm here for a panel where I'm going to be discussing just kind of the work um, I do at NYSI, the things uh, we do in the maker space, programming. Um, a little bit more slanted on the teen program we do, but more about everything. Um, and I'm actually excited to be part of this because I want to start kind of getting information from teachers to really, um, though we have been working with schools specifically with school group workshops and um, makerspace consultations, um, it would be nice to work more within the school system around New York and kind of build that uh, context and network within what we do. Because um, we're starting to expand a lot with our programs. We spent many years you know, building up our you know regular offerings to our visitors and some outreach programs and stuff. So now we're kind of going to the next step where we really want to start expanding outside of you know our area in Queens, but also throughout the five boroughs and beyond. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, your panel is called Making Makerspaces. Mm-hmm. What? Um, Give me two or three lessons. You're somebody who knows a fair amount about creating uh, sort of maker-driven experiences um, that have learning as the kind of focal point, uh, but also paying attention to what tools and what environment that all happens in. Mm -hmm. Um, Give me two or three lessons that have been really crucial to you that um, to those who are getting started with a makerspace, you always sort of uh, lay down for them. Well, it's interesting when we do work with schools or other informal um, institutions to build out either programming or full maker spaces. Um, really, the the most important thing that I try to lay in the foundation is we don't provide curriculum or specific saying here do this in your classroom or do this in your program. We really want the teachers, the you know facilitators, educators to build their own capacity for designing and building these programs. So really it starts with the kind of thought process and how you approach learning yourself. So I would say trust how you learn. And then through my experience, that has helped me be very compassionate to how others learn because obviously everyone learns in their own unique way, yet there are overlaps. So really investigating that, allowing um, for time um, to explore that. And I think People don't give themselves time and they don't give themselves uh, the space. Um, so those are two kind of really, you know, hard things that I think are very important. Um, and depending on your situation, you know, you might have more access to time <laughs> or staff. Um, say, for instance, some programs we run, we are very heavy staffed because of the tool base um, stuff. But I, I would say to get back to the <laughs> advice um, is really – like dig into your community, whether it be your classroom and your school, whether it be you're serving, you know, your local community, but really figure out what they need and want. Um, and then you can kind of design around what your resources are and how you can support that. Um, so it's really kind of like a dichotomy between what you want to accomplish, but then also what your community wants and needs. Mm. Yeah. What, um, one of the things I love about what happens at NYSI with in uh, with respect to maker education 
is that uh, you seem like you've brought an ethos there that is very much about the blend of high tech and low tech. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, actually, it's it's definitely true where, you know, we have a, you know, saying we try to say is like, this is an equal opportunity tool space. Uh, you know, no tool is better than the other. They just have different reasons for existing. Um, and we really try to focus on best tool for the job. So if in fact, the best tool for the job is, you know, a high end high tech tool, we do have access to that. But sometimes, you know, paper and pencil is the best entry point into figuring out what, you know, your objectives are and how you can reach those objectives. Um, and more often than not, you know, some of the higher tech tools such as, you know, 3D printers and laser cutters and even within the, you know, like coding world with Arduinos and things, um, people are really drawn to this. Like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. But then it really, again, goes back to the idea of time. You know, that it takes a lot of time to learn how to use, you know, these tools even on a basic level. Mm. And so building that ability to kind of, go through the process, you know, build up from basically either ground, you know, ground level or wherever you are in your understanding of those tools. Um, but it's really important for us to show the possibility of all the tools. And then when the kids decide what they want to make, um, they can pull together, okay, I'm going to use some woodworking tools. I'm going to use some digital design tools. I'm going to use some fabrication tools. And they, you know, are, are seeing the kind of eclectic nature of what making is because, you know, whether it's a discipline or a tool, you're never going to use one discipline or one tool for anything. You're going to use multiple disciplines or multiple tools together. And how do they support each other and which one would be better than another? Yeah. A lot of people, I think, um, this is a special question, especially for you with a perspective coming out of a science museum. Um, I think a lot of people think that maker education is special in that it has the potential to um, be a tool for broadening participation in science. Um, do you believe that? And, and if so, why? Um, I actually have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, it's, I find first and foremost, um, though I would say, you know, I've come, you know, I've, I've made a lot of things in my life and I, you know, before the maker movement really, you know, rose up, I definitely was an artist and, you know, my dad's an engineer. So I've been doing this for a long time, but, um, I'm really first and foremost an educator and, one of my biggest roles as an educator is to find an entry point. And if people say that making is a great entry point or they're curious about it and you can frame it around that and it has some, you know, substantiation in their mind, that's what's important to me. Though I'm an advocate for, you know, making, I'm an advocate for the maker movement. I don't think it's like the answer to everything. I just think if we can find this entry point into how you figure out the best way to accommodate people's learning process, um, that's really the goal. And if making is the entry point into that, then, Hey, this is awesome. You know, let's, let's, let's run with this, um, for as long as people want to. <laughs> I, I love, uh, I love a pragmatist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I probably fall in that category. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Dave, uh, anything, I don't want to keep you, I know you want to take a spin around before your panel, um, Anything else we should know about what's happening at NISI right now and, and what's available at NISI for uh, educators who maybe couldn't make it to the Makeathon but might uh, be New York-based mm-hmm. and want to access what NISI has to offer? Um, give you some, some plug time? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we have some uh, great uh, maker 
professional development programs where we we've kind of built it out as a modular system where um, because everyone's needs are different we have everything from a half day pd where it just kind of gives you a flavor of certain activities that we run um, and then we also talk about the pedagogy and the reflection around that and how you can kind of build this into your curriculum all the way up to we've worked with schools and other informal institutions for full-scale makerspace build outs to you know where do you get the tables and chairs you sit on um, you know, again, we don't offer specific curriculum around that because we work with teachers to develop their own curriculum and mm. what makes sense within their setting. Because, you know, I can talk to them blue in the face. It's the teachers and the educators that are going to have to do it. So they need to have the confidence and the, you know, like feeling of agency that, okay, you know what, let's just run, you know, let's run with this. Where can people find more info about NYSI? Yeah, I think go on uh, NYSI.org um, and they can look up, you know, you could just search for maker and that'll come up. Um, we also have a bunch of other, you know, great education programs, great education PD. Um, NYSI is kind of an interesting place um, since I've been there um, in my experience, because, you know, as the maker movement has grown and, you know, Maker Fair, um, I always kind of refer to NYSI as like, we're, a, you know, we're a big museum, but we're, we, we kind of run like a startup because everyone's kind of exploring and experimenting with things. Um, and so we have that kind of foundation of understanding with education and exploration, but then we're also really trying a lot of new and different things. So mm. you might come one week and it's, you know, it seems like, oh, this is really fun. And then you come a month later and it's a, kind of a different place. It's really, it's really interesting. Dave, thanks for stopping by. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yes, 76. Cheryl, um, are you a classroom teacher? I'm a librarian. Oh, excellent. And and tell me, is this the kind of stuff that you're doing at, in your library space, or is this a special day? One of the things we do. Great. What else are you working on? Some mini looms. Um, we have a lot of textile materials. We have sewing and... In our library, we have some sewing machines. We have hand sewing. We have some knitters. Um, we have some writers who use computers to to write. Uh, we have some builders. So we do a variety of things. But I'd say I specialize in textile making. You just named a whole bunch of stuff in your library space that I don't think a lot of people think of as being library stuff. Um, what do you say to people who... Um, want to say that uh, libraries are obsolete and um, and they just don't have a, a place in the school anymore. So I think uh, libraries are just growing and more exciting than ever. Would you say that it's important that a library be a mix of high-tech and low-tech? Um, well, we are that. We do a lot of low-tech. Um, I think the librarians and teachers' passions in some way have, should direct the space. So since this is something I enjoy, this kind of low-tech um, making, I can transfer that um, love and interest and enthusiasm to my students. Oh, teamwork, I like it. I really don't care. Hi. Any four. Mix them up. You got it? Yep. Awesome. Last step, and this you might need some help, is to secure it so it's going to go around to keep everything in place. So I kind of do it like that. What are you guys making? 
We are making catapults today, and we're practicing them launching marshmallows. Awesome. Where, where uh, is, you guys are from PS191. Where is 191? We're actually from about five blocks away on West End and 61st Street. Excellent. Manhattan, represent. That's pretty exciting. Um, catapults, and are these your students or students from all over? These are visitors. We have some students on lunch, but these are visitors taking a crash course in making catapults and then practicing their launching skills. Great. What do you teach? I'm the elementary science teacher, and my partner, the middle school science teacher, are both here, representing District 3. So um, what role do catapults play in science? Catapults are connected to almost everything from math as far as distance, force as far as launch, aesthetics as far as design, engineering, all kinds of variables from the amount of sticks to the bottle caps to the rubber bands. You name it, it's in there. Did you always consider yourself a maker? I always did because I always liked the hands-on. Even if I didn't know the name for everything that I did, I wanted to figure out how it worked, how I could touch it, what I could manipulate about it. making bristle bots, which are little fun mini robots that you make with a toothbrush head, a motor, and a coin cell battery. And then the kids are going to race them and see who can make the best uh, bristle bot. Awesome. What do you teach? I teach STEM at MS-104. So it's an engineering uh, elective that I teach to 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students. Terrific. How long have you been teaching? As my 11th year teaching. 11 years. Thank you for your work. Um, this sounds amazing. And have you been a STEM teacher for 11 years? No, I started off as a 7th grade science teacher, um, but through my professional learning, I got really excited about STEM and engineering and making, and I really wanted to expand um, what I was teaching. Um, so I started integrating it into my science class, and then it grew into its own elective where we wrote a curriculum uh, for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. What role do you think STEM has in broadening participation in science? I think uh, STEM is really great because it's engaging. It's really getting kids involved in real-world problem-solving and critical thinking, and it makes science and engineering and technology just come alive um, because they're, you know, they're building and they're doing, and it's just really engaging for all students. Um, last question, not a trick question. Is it important that we call it STEM? So people do get caught up in labels like with STEM or STEAM or making. Um, I think um, whatever you call it, as long as kids are doing, you know, really focus on um, critical thinking and real problem solving and that they're doing, I think that's the really main important part. What's the name of your breast bot? Oh, um, well, this is a student made this one, but we'll name this one. Feel that? George. Yeah, it looks like a George. I was going to go. <laughs> I know, it is like a How do you think George goes in circles like that and doesn't get dizzy? Huh, I don't know. Maybe it's just the legs. So you have to position the legs correctly. Maybe George was a sailor and he has an amazing sense of equilibrium. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, that was just going sideways. And, and are you here as... Um, I'm a volunteer here. You're a volunteer. Uh, are you a student? I was a former student. I graduated last year. Now I'm NYC Museum School. I'm a first year um, high school, so I'm a freshman. Outstanding. How's freshman year? Interesting. Are you doing any making? Um, no, I am not, unfortunately. My school does not have any STEM programs, which I wish they did, because... 
it's really interesting. You know, you get to. I mean, nowadays a lot of people are into technology, or it's a lot. We're surrounded by technology, so building, you know, with engineering, you get a better understanding of what you're using around you. Yeah. What is it like to go from a school that has um, a STEM teacher and classes where you're making uh, to a school where uh, you don't, you're not doing a lot of uh, hands-on making? Well, um, in this school, we were... It's very creative, you know? Like, you make these, you go design design your bot however you like. Now in the school I go to, there's not as much hands-on projects. So it's still a good school. I'm not saying it's bad, but, you know, I depending on who you are, if you like to be creative, if you are creative and you like building stuff, STEM is a great way to pursue in your interests. Thanks so much. So, Gianna, you've you've been part of the show before. Welcome. I'm so excited that I bumped into you. Tell me what you're making. I am making a tech pouch for my cell phone, um, and I am also and I've finished making a superhero cuff from mouse. Awesome. Uh, that is familiar. Yeah, yeah. We hacked it. It looks slightly different because we don't have a battery pack. Um, so we did a hack. So it's an open circuit design, but it actually stays on the whole time. Uh, I love what you did with it, though, and I'm going to take a photo. So tell me about the materials you're working with. Oh, my gosh. There's this great organization called Materials for the Arts, and we went there a few times, and we have all of this fabric from them. It's just fabric scraps that we've gotten that was donated at Materials for the Arts, and we just kind of cut it down to 9 by 9 pieces, and then people were just kind of tailoring it to their specific phone size, and you kind of like burrito roll to fit your phone and then you kind of just sew here and here and then you just got yourself a phone case this folds over and shuts down with a button. Do you think it's important that um, young people are learning a mix of high-tech and low-tech together? I think it's important for kids to learn high and low, but I think ultimately what kids need to learn is how to make things work with what you already have. There's like a push in our culture to kind of like keep up with the latest and greatest. And sometimes, you know, the latest and greatest is just one one hack or one step away from what you already have. So I think teaching them those skills to value what you have and repurpose things that you're not using um, into something new. That's brilliant. I love that. Um, so... Jessica and I met downstairs, uh, but didn't really get to formally meet. Uh, at the time, you were doing you were doing uh, some sewable circuits. Yes. Tell me, how was the experience? Uh, I really liked it. I haven't been able to sew in a really long time. Actually, it's a skill that I learned uh, back in you know maybe middle school. I remember we sewed these uh, felt footballs in home at class, and so it's. It brought me back. <laughs> what was with it? They must have um, all been working from the same patterns. Because I think, I think so. mine, my first, like middle school home ec, actually it was earlier. It was, um, we had home ec in, I want to say uh, fifth and sixth grade. So it might have been fifth grade. It was a baseball bat. There was like a whole sports thing. Um, it must have been all drawing from the same pattern book. Yeah. I think that was a, a way of buy-in for them. They thought that we'd be interested if we were making things we could throw around or uh, play yeah. with. 
I, was, I thought you were thinking like everybody loves football, which <laughs> that's I don't. not true. <laughs> um, so you're from Tech. Tell me about Tech. Yeah, so Tech is a really interesting company. Um, we have kind of two major uh, strains or, or major focuses. And one is on selling hardware to uh, schools on Long Island and New York City, kind of internationally sometimes. Uh, and the other thing that we do is we pair whatever hardware we sell with professional development because we definitely believe that if, you know, we give a teacher a piece of equipment, it's not going to be used effectively if they don't know how to use it or they don't have the time to commit to learning how to use it. Uh, so we definitely want to make sure that we're supporting teachers as much as possible. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of stuff? Tell me more specifically what is what is tech um, offering to teachers? Yeah, so in, in the way of hardware. In the way of hardware, we started out really just focusing on smart. So smart boards, interactive flat panels, you know, the document cameras, the cap boards and, and all of those. Uh, and we've really moved into, especially in the last year, the STEM space. So now we have what's called a Pi Top, which is a Raspberry Pi powered computer, um, teaches students how to code with Python which is really, uh, really fun. And then we have some SparkFun kits using Arduino boards, learning C++ with those. Uh, we have Robotis kits, so that's also C++ programming language. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, we really just filled that space, and we're, you know, um, really just expanding in that and looking for suggestions from teachers and just trying to see, you know, what they want and then answering those needs. Amazing. So yeah. did uh, is this your first makeathon? This, yeah, the Manhattan Makeathon. Yeah. yeah, this is my first one. And how's the day been so far? It's been great. I was very surprised by how big the entire thing is. I, I didn't expect it to be this much. There's a lot going on. There's a lot. It's a little overwhelming. <laughs> so um, do you feel like, um, like, so you guys sell some fairly high-tech stuff. I'm curious how you feel about the... Um, mix here especially of high tech and low tech and um what do you think is the the importance of that yeah actually i was a middle school science teacher for a couple of years and i always tried to mix the high and the low tech well one we didn't have the budget for all high tech and uh two i really believe that if you isolate just you know one end of the spectrum so if you're just showing your kids high tech and just forcing them to use you know higher level technology then you're going to be missing out a lot on a lot of those low tech skills mm -hmm. you know a kid still needs to know how to write with a pen and, and paper uh, so you know there are there's a good mix between low tech and high tech and I think that's important for the classroom there's definitely a um, a national dialogue um, about whether or not maker education um, has a role to play in broadening participation in science learning. Um, do you think it does? And, and if so, what role do you think it, it plays? Yeah, I think it definitely plays a role. Uh, you know, there are a lot of technologies and a lot of uh, activities out there that I think would generate interest in making, um, you know, a large part of making is engineering, so and that's a science, right? You know, it's a subset of science. So I think that um, just generating interest and having students just being engineers, um, you know, we need engineers with the way that, you know, uh, our environment is affected by greenhouse gases and things that we're, you know, doing to affect our environment. And I think that, you know, it all kind of plays in together. I'm curious, as somebody who's been a middle school science teacher, there are, I, I think a lot of educators 
approaching maker education are hesitant because um, they're they're sort of out is I don't have the time for this. Um, what would you say to that as somebody who's been in the classroom and mm-hmm. and somebody who it, it seems as in, in your role and being here today that uh, you're an advocate and a, a champion for what's going on here. Um, but what do you say for somebody who's like, you know what, I just don't think I have the time. Yeah, I definitely feel that I can relate to that because when I was in the classroom, I didn't have a ton of time to research new things. Uh, but you do need continuing education credit. So just making sure that you're targeting, you know, things that are, you know, areas of growth for you. I think uh, that's a way of kind of making that time for it. You know, when we all sign on as teachers, we know that we have to keep up with the trends. We have to make sure that we're, you know, giving our students the most opportunities possible. Uh, So we, we need to keep up with the times. It's, you know, our duty as teachers that, you know, we have to make the time to have it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's crazy, too, because um, in some ways what's going on here is a throwback too, right. It's like in in a way we're asking educators to keep up with uh, where things are. And another way we're asking them to sort of revert to something that uh, in a lot of school systems is long gone. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we uh, at Mouse, we've I've done so many school tours where um, they were. Uh, you know, they'd say, oh, you know, check out our, our new um, headquarters for the tech team. And it was an old wood shop or an old home ec room. Yeah. Um, and all of the equipment was pushed into the back and it was mm-hmm. it was uh, sewing machines and lathes and all kinds of amazing mm-hmm. equipment. But they had pushed that to the back to put the high tech stuff um, mm-hmm. at front and center. And now it's almost like we're asking uh, for a reintegration of what was with mm-hmm. with. Uh, what, what the future looks like. Um, so that's not a question. It's kind of a tangent. <laughs> but I wonder if you're seeing that, too, in yeah. some of the schools that you get to work with at Tech. Definitely. And even just today with, you know, a lot of the sewing activities that we worked on, you know, it was sewing and circuitry. So sewing is, you know, kind of a throwback skill, as maybe you would call it. And, um, you know, now we're bringing that to the forefront and elevating it with technology. So, when I think of that, I think of, you know, um, the SAMR model for introducing technology into the classroom. And, you know, now we're, we're really trying to, you know, take uh, maybe projects that we've done before and elevate them with that technology. Um, but just to speak on that a little bit more, I really think that, uh, you know, innovation happens at the intersection of a lot of different disciplines and ideas and skills. So the more that we can introduce to our students, you know, the more innovative they're going to be, the more creative they're going to be. Uh, and then they can really draw upon those subsets of skills that they learn, um, you know, to really be powerful citizens once they graduate. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the SAMR model. Mm-hmm. Uh, will you just say what that is for people who don't know? Substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition. Mm-hmm. So those are the levels of the the SAMR model. And then th- those lie within two subsets, and that's uh, one of them is transformation. So you want to make sure that with technology, you're always trying to go towards those higher levels of modification and redefinition. So an example maybe of something that's a little lower level, if you're just on the substitution level, would be um, you know your students are writing an essay with pen and paper, mm-hmm. and now you give them a word processor and a computer to do the same thing. So that's just substitution. And while that's great because you want them to be able to use a word processor and that is a skill that they're going to need to know, you're not actually elevating what they're doing with that technology. So the way to elevate that would then be to use 
um, you know, parts of that word processor, like maybe if you're in Google Docs, you're using the Explore tool or you're using, you know, spell check and you're using some of those tools that that wouldn't have been possible with pen and paper. So now you're bringing it up to, you know, that more transformative level. Uh, and that's where we should strive to be. Not every lesson is going to be transformative. And mm -hmm. we understand that, you know, you can't be using technology to its fullest all the time. It has a time and place. So just knowing that balance, but then also striving for that redefinition in the classroom with technology, that's where technology has its power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jessica, thank you for stopping by. Yeah. This is awesome. And I'm so glad you're here at the Makeathon. Yeah. Uh, I hope you come back next year. Uh, if I can unofficially uh, spokesperson for uh, <laughs> Lori and the rest of the amazing team that puts this on, uh, it's great yeah. to have you here. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to meet you. I'm, I'm going to resist the temptation to sit down and, and uh, uh, how about are other people other than other than English teachers? Oh, great. So can I can I get your um, doesn't have to be your last name, but first name in school is Grace, uh, Grace from PS1 in Manhattan. PS1. Um, Grace, uh, how has today been for you? It's been really exciting just seeing all the different ideas and options and, you know, just being hands-on I think is just really important. And my background's in special education, so a lot of the students I've worked with over the years, you know, you always have to find alternate means of access for them. And kinesthetic stuff and making things helps everyone, whether you're learning disabled or you're just having a hard day. It just helps to kind of, like, calm the mind, and then you can, you know move on like once you get everyone settled and relaxes people and it kind of you know it makes everything just easier um there's a hypothesis out there and um national science foundation is talking a lot about this a lot of researchers are talking a lot about this that uh maker education and however we call that let's call it maker education for now is really crucial for broadening participation in um, all of STEM subjects. Do you agree with that, and, and why do you think that is, if so? Uh, I definitely agree with that because I think that when you're making something, whether it's science-related or arts-related, just you're using so many different aspects of what you already know, so it's definitely strengths-based. And you're using all these skills, and in addition to all the academic skills, of literacy and math and science, and it's and you're just thinking. You know, you're activating neurons, and um, and it's also collaboration skills. So there's social skills involved. So, and that's what you do in the real world, right? No matter what industry you eventually work in, or what whatever job you might ever have, or career choice, and it also just leaves room for creativity and entrepreneurship. So it's just, it just provides opportunities, and that's what I think we educators are always mindful of. Are there things from today that you definitely think you're going to take back to PS1? Um, yeah, there's just lots of interesting ideas. I've just been like taking pictures of different projects and things, so um, just to see you know what I can present to my teachers, um, but across the board. So it's not just the you know science teacher, obviously, just and the arts teachers, but also to my. Uh, academic teachers as well so there's there's just been a lot of great ideas so it's a matter of you know who like bites and you know can take it to the next level thank you so much Samika, good to meet you so tell me what we're making um we're gonna make mallets that we use to play a form of music called samba okay before you um show me how to make them can you tell me 
show me what they sound like. Um, uh, sure. I have a sample one in my bag. This is something like what it sounds like. I mean, what it looks like, but it sounds like this. Awesome. Okay, so how do I make one? Um, so there's multiple variations of making one. Like, it switches up depending on how you feel. But um, one way that I made one is you take one of these foam red red balls and then you put it over here. So this is like one of those, it almost looks like one of those foam noses that a clown wears. Like a clown. And then you could take this bigger foam here because there's different sizes. This is the small one, okay. but there's a larger one depending on the drum. And you could wrap this around like this. So there's another... Um, another type of foam it's also a sort of open cell foam but it's maybe two inches thick yeah and then you can take some tape and that looks like pretty standard electrical tape and this is all being wound around um probably a quarter inch or a half inch dowel yes some people um some people put the balloon over the um foam but I can't do that because I'm incapable of putting it over foam. <laughs> so I just take the tape and wrap it around until it's a good amount. Then drums you hear in the background are obviously people testing out their mallets. Yes. You can take this cloth and then you can wrap it around like this. That looks like nice, tight felt. Yes. Like that. And then take some tape. Or you could do it, glue it down, or you could do both. <laughs> some of it works without tape, I mean without glue, and some of it doesn't. So, you can glue this around. And then, this. And this is pretty much what it looks like. And then you could test it out on the drums over there. Amazing. So, uh, and where are you guys here from? Um, Frederick Douglass Academy. Frederick Douglass Academy. For those who don't know New York, tell them where Frederick Douglass is. Um, Frederick Douglass is in Harlem on one, 148th Street. Amazing. And what class are you guys doing this in? Um, Harlem Samba. Harlem Samba. So this is a class at Frederick Douglass? Yeah. And um, what's the sort of goal of the class over the course of a semester? Um, it's to broaden our knowledge about different types of music. Our music comes from Brazil. Um, so is everybody in these rooms, are, are the educators in here all doing different things? Yeah, so um, basically in our cohort, 
we were a bunch of different schools from all over Manhattan, and each school hosted their own little mini makeathon around whatever they were making today. So every school has a different project that people are making. Got it. So each of the individual rooms are like somebody's make, and you can go in there and learn yep, how to you make. Yeah, can what- learn and make and see what's going on. Yeah. Awesome. So we're gonna go in now to the cardboard arcade. Um, and before we go in there and it's super loud, tell me quickly about the what what we're about to see. Okay, so um, the Cardboard Arcade is from PS15, Roberto Clemente, located on the Lower East Side. And in there, the students are using cardboard and other recyclable materials to make all types of arcade games. And um, there's different things that involve, are involved with it, like the engineering design process, um, force of motion, um, just different things to help them make their game successful. So we're going to go in and see Amazing. what's going on. Let's check it out. We're in a room that, it almost looks like they might have converted this into like a black box theater at one point. Um, but it's fairly big. It's about the size of a classroom, but it's empty. And uh, all over the floor, there's upcycled cardboard. There is an insane amount of tape. Um, I see uh, young people from maybe second grade. Yeah. Um, second to second to what? To fifth grade. Okay, so you have um, a mix of grade and age. You definitely have a mix of um, young women and uh, young men in here. And the thing that is hard to ignore is just how fired up these young people are about what they're making. So let's ask them uh, some questions about about what they're up to. Um, a cardboard ping pong. Well, what is it? Ski ball. Um, challenge thing, and we have to like create a lot of circles and stuff and holes in the cardboard so that like if it fails, it can just go through the hole and then it comes all the way back out. Got it. So it's gonna work a lot like ski ball. Yeah. Got it. Have you ever played ski ball? Yeah. At, um, Nice. So, um, is this the first time you've done something like this? No. No, we put, we made um, a ring toss thing over there with the red bottles and stuff, and we put like tape on the bottles, um, on the water bottles, and we had toss and we put, um, threw it on the thing, and like there's points on it, so how much points you get, like that's basically the game. What's the funnest part about today? Um, I think it's designing the boards and like um, working together with all the stuff because like, yeah, even though it's really hard, it's fun at the same time. What, what is, you said the word design, what is design? First of all, thank you for coming up and joining me in this amazing booth, which I haven't had a chance to talk about yet. But um, this is so Lori Stalvin Brackle, who uh, founded the Makeathon, Manhattan Makeathon, uh, and her husband put together this incredible little booth, which is uh, it's like a, a um, hinged three panel foam cubicle. 
which wouldn't make sense because it's three panels. But it's it's basically like this little nest that we're in. So thank you for visiting me here in my uh, my pop up uh, Van Brackle nest. <laughs> Very um, glad to be here. I yeah. actually heard a lot about this pop-up, and it's pretty amazing to see. They did an awesome job. He was actually like, I don't know if this is going to make it home, but <laughs> I, I can't imagine he's going to leave this here. I don't know. I might have to take it for my makerspace. You should. <laughs> you should take it for your podcast. So yeah. um, tell me about the coolest project um, that your students have been working on recently. And um, sort of off mic, you were telling me a little bit about something amazing, and I stopped you before you told me too too much i wanted to hear it here for the first time okay well there's a there's a lot of very cool things going on at ps15 um so it's very hard for me to pick the coolest thing because there's so many but um what we were talking about previously was an awesome lesson that i got from mouse create it was the pixel art piece and um the kids got really into it really excited i kind of did a little sidebar to kind of have them kind of go in a certain way so we did a little study on pop art and andy warhol and they were to pick something that was popular in society today that excited them and create their own gif um so there was one student who actually took a different path and that was fine because i never stop them from where they're going. Um, I do try and give them ideas, but obviously it's whatever they want to make or create. So this one student decided um, he really loves history and he uh, did a piece, he called it American History, where he um, did each frame a different part of American history, but he took a very dark route of it um, and there was meaning behind what he did um, but he basically did um, like one frame was of the Twin Towers exploding another frame was of uh, the Titanic crashing American Revolution was another one and um, when I asked him why he did this he um, his his reasoning behind it was that he felt that um, it's important for people to know the some horrible things that have happened in our past so that it's not to happen again. Mm. So that was pretty cool. And um, we submitted it to the uh, Manhattan Borough Arts Festival and he was selected. So it was very exciting. He's Amazing. a fifth grader named Fernando. So so we'll, um, so it is a GIF. It is a GIF. For those who are listening who don't know what a GIF is, tell them. Okay. I all right. I hope a lot of people know what a GIF is, but um, it's those really awesome, quick animations that are made basically. I mean, people who get the app on their phone to make it don't really see the, the whole process of making it. But you're just basically making um, different frames and then they become animated and it repeats. It loops. So um, very much like stop motion in a sense, but quick. Yeah. They call it a GIF because the file extension is mm. .gif. Um, some people call it a GIF. A GIF, a GIF, yeah. Uh, so a little public service announcement. If you don't know what a GIF is at this point, it's trouble. No, yeah. There's a lot of people who have done what it is. Um, so that sounds amazing. So all of this, each frame is a different kind of pixel art. Mm -hmm. Each one is sort of a moment of, of in history that also at this intersection of tragedy mm -hmm. um and his 
um, his sort of reason for doing it as a digital artist mm-hmm. was um, tell me again. So his his reasoning behind this was that he wanted to teach the world or teach people or share with people um, how important it is to not forget those negative things that happen in history so it's not repeated, mm. um, that it did happen. And if we let people know that it happened, hopefully it wouldn't happen again. Yeah, that's powerful. And part of what I love about that is um, I love all of it, but I think especially with respect to internet culture, I think people have come to know gifts as um, a goofy thing you slap into a, a space um, to add levity or make a point that is graphic or um, it's, you know, they end up getting used for all kinds of um, mixed media punctuation, right? So, um, but what I love about this is that you have a student who is using that uh, same medium for a really serious message. And I think gifts do have, like any medium, uh, you can do all sorts of things with it. And I love that um, you adding the intersection with the Warhol and, and sort of pop art. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really kind of deep expression of where, I mean, it's a form of pop art that is um, definitely really I think, powerful. I think, too, with, you know, I mean, they're elementary school kids, so they're young, but, you know, they... There's a lot of dark stuff going on in the world today, and it's kind of, yeah. So in a sense, I mean, I guess it's sad that we have to say that this is a popular thing, but yeah. Yeah. What do you think? So with that, the um, time and place where we are in mind, what do you think is the importance of um, a day like today for uh, the educators that it serves and ultimately the students that it serves? I think a day like today is important because I think it shows educators and students that we all are gifted and talented in different ways. And um, that maybe, for example, you know, we talked earlier about high tech versus low tech and Um, You know, I think there's a big variety here today, but even just people seeing that, like in my room, we're making cardboard arcade games and very low tech. But I mean, the kids are learning so much from it, um, from the sense of, you know, the engineering design process to, you know, some science with like force of motion and like the tilt of the game. Will the ball go fast or slow? And basically just using recycled materials to do it aside from the duct tape. Um, so I think that, you know, what I found, I mean, not just with this event, because I work closely with Lori and the makers, Manhattan Makers mm-hmm. cohort. Um, and I think, you know, what we want is that, you know, that everyone sees that they can do it. It doesn't mean that you have to be know what a GIF is or know how to create an animation on the computer. I mean, you could just get some stuff and let the kids start making. And through that, they can kind of, I mean, my whole motto these days is uh, making equals engagement. And I've been very fortunate to be able to collaborate with classroom teachers and bring that making and that steam into the classroom um, so that you know, the kids can get more out of the core subjects and 
stuff like that. So I think that people are seeing that we're making for a purpose. We're not just, it's not just, I don't want to use the craft thing or cookie cutter, but I mean, there is a purpose behind what we're doing here. Um, Lori said earlier when we spoke that um, her experience has been that a lot of educators are intimidated by uh, this kind of sort of project-centered, hands-on experience building. Um, Has that been your experience? And and I think one of the things that's going to be most helpful to the folks who listen to this podcast is... um, how, what's the right set of scaffolding to help um, bring educators to a place where they're more comfortable and have more agency? So I think that um, the first thing is that people get nervous, like, oh, my gosh, my school doesn't have a makerspace. Um, we were really fortunate that, um, you know, our administration allowed us or me and some other people, the opportunity to build a makerspace. And we had the space and we wrote grants and we got some funding to build the space, but not everybody has that. So I think just to start off with that is you don't need one of those fancy spaces to make making happen Mm. um, or making for a purpose happen. Um, I know people that just have a little side, you know, corner of their room. I mean, Lori has like this small little closet of an office and she has a little bit of a makerspace in it. So you don't need much. And um, I think that, you know, by coming to these events, like coming to the Manhattan Makeathon, going to the World's Maker Fair, seeing what's out there, seeing all these different things that you could do, going and doing intervisitations with other people who are doing it, I think that's a great way to start. Mm. Listening to your podcast also is an amazing way to start. Um, so I just think that, you know, people, and the other thing too is y- you would be amazed at what these kids can come up with. I think we as adults get tracked into one way that we want it to be. Mm. And then these kids take it to a whole nother level where you're like, whoa, that blew my mind. Like, for example, Fernando with the American history gif. I mean, it was just not where I thought it was going to go. And then it went that way. Similar to the cardboard arcade that we had um, at our school for a District 1 event. I mean, I kind of, in my mind, thought everyone was going to make these pinball machines. And I had my film class do a documentary on it and visit a pinball arcade. And and actually, no one built a pinball machine. And, and these games came out awesome. We had skee-ball. We had foosball. We had ring toss. I mean, and it just blew my mind that, you know, it really these kids have these creative minds and they can do it. I think everyone's creative. They just sometimes get a little nervous and they just need to take a chance. Take yeah, risks. Yeah. Amy, thank you for stopping by. You're welcome. Thank you for um, having me. I hope we get to talk uh, some more very soon. Um, it has been so cool bumping into you today. Cool. And I'm so grateful. You, Amy has uh, volunteered, um, not really, but I'm volunteering you um, to to uh, work on some topics for the show, for no such thing um, that are more elementary focused. Um I, I need your input uh, sure, and your I'd love ideas. It. So I'm excited to have you uh, help out in that way. Thanks so much, Amy. Thank you. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share with me, 
find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode one, an Olympic fully clothed hotel pool swimmer. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. This show would not be possible without support from the good people at Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org.